You're listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Worney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line with some sweet, sweet M21 preview cards is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, how does it feel to see a magic card before the rest of the world? It feels pretty good, actually. Yeah, it's just a nice little little private secret that, that you and I get to have for a few weeks before we get to unleash them to the rest of the world. So without further ado, we're going to kick the show off today with our official M21 preview cards. Thank you, as always, to Wizards of the Coast for including us in preview season. It's really, really awesome. Thank you for the free previews. All right, Ben, I'm going to kick us off with an oldie but a goodie here. At Uncommon, we've got Volcanic Geyser, which is X red red for an instant. Volcanic Geyser deals X damage to any target. Yeah, that is a sweet one for sure. This is, I don't know, I feel like in Limited these days, like this used to be an insane bomb, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's still very good, but it's not busted, right? Yeah, it's tough because y- you don't get a good rate on this card, right? Like you're probably trading down on mana to kill any creature, but the flexibility of being able to go face and being like a finisher for your whatever aggro mid-range decks is I think really good. But I agree, like Red Red X is a pretty steep cost to pay, but I think this will probably be a, a fairly high pick in the format. M- maybe not though. Maybe maybe Limited has moved past this. No, I, like it's core set. It's got to be fine, right? Yeah. So like you're paying four to deal two, paying five to deal three, paying six to deal four. Like the, the later in the game, obviously the better it gets, but you can use it in a pinch early game. Like it's got to be a pull into red, right? Yeah, and I think playing against red decks, you're going to end up you know, we've, when we've seen things like, you know, Inferno Jet in uh, Hour of Devastation, you know, these cards that just can like finish you off, I think you'll then have to play a little bit differently as your life total starts to approach like, you know, eight, seven, six, and you have this card in the back of your head of like, oh, I probably have to keep my life total fairly high or try and maybe aggressively trade off a little bit more against these red decks so that I don't just get geysered out of the game. Right. That makes sense. All right. What's our other preview card? Our other preview card is a sweet one. This is Experimental Overload, two blue-red for a sorcery at Uncommon. Create an XX blue and red weird creature token where X is the number of instant sorcery cards in your graveyard. Then you may return an instant or sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand. Exile Experimental Overload. Boy, howdy, is that exciting. That card is strong, right? Yeah, so this is like, you know, alarm bells going off of this is exactly what Blue Red wants to do. Blue Red wants to be a Spells Matter deck. Did you see Riddle Form is coming back? I did see that Riddle Form is coming back. Yeah, so Blue Red Spells is lining up to be a very sweet deck, and this seems like an amazing payoff for it. You know, you imagine making, I don't know, like even making just a 2-2. I mean, this is just a two-for-one. It's just a straight-up two-for-one. You're going to make a creature and return a spell to your hand. That's so good. Think how good Archaeomancer is. Two blue blue for a one-two, right? To rebuy mm-hmm. an instant or sorcery. Here you're getting a relevant body for that same thing. Yeah. Yeah, this could be late in the game. This could be a 5-5, five, five, a 6-6, six, six, depending on, you know, if there are the, the support for this, like probably not, you know, Faithless Looting isn't coming back or whatever, but some sort of like, you know, rummage effect, tormenting voice, thrill of possibility. Those are going to be like really high picks or really like strong synergy pieces for a deck like this. Yeah. I'm excited about Experimental Overload. That's got to be like rock solid B, strong pull into blue red. I would assume so. Yeah. All right. That's it. There you have it. Yeah, so thank you again to Wizards of the Coast for allowing us to have some sweet blue-red spells action to unveil to the world, and we look forward to diving into the Crash Course. I can't believe it's next week, Ben. That's crazy. We didn't even have time to do our little tease out all those sweet new cards that have been spoiled. Yeah, well, that's because, I mean, and and, and sad to ship off Aquaria here, but because Aquaria was just so jam-packed with tons of stuff to break down that I, I like I said last week, I feel like we could do half a dozen more episodes easily on this format. But uh, today, we are going to be sending Akoria off in style with our 50 takes in 50 minutes episode. So this is our our way of saying goodbye to a format. Uh, if you've never listened to the style of episode, we're going to rattle off 50 ideas, takes, whatever takeaways from Akoria for you uh, to sort of summarize our experience with the set. And then also, this is a great episode, I think, to come back to, you know, if, if in many months you've sort of forgotten, you know, when you want to dust off the cobwebs or whatever for the set when it comes back to Arena, this is a great, a great episode for that. But before we get into those takes, we want to take 
take a brief moment to talk about the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited, where you can go to give back to the show if you so choose. Of course, the show is always going to be free, but we have some perks there, and the base level is access to the Discord, and this is the time to get in on the Discord if you want to be with a great group of limited minds to break a format wide open in the early weeks. So uh, that 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 Discord access is just the best thing on the internet, in my opinion. We have some other perks as well. Um, and just, just a brief note here, if you're interested in giving to our show, we of course are very excited about that. But we also want to encourage folks, if you are in a giving mood, um, there are a ton of great organizations and charities in the wake of what is happening in the world with protests, with Black Lives Matter, with bailout projects. So please, please, please also consider giving to those as well. Um, but back to our Patreon, we just want to make sure that we shout out each and every one of our new patrons the week that they join. And this week, we're welcoming Johnny, Nathaniel, David, Kern Lowell, and Tom. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough and loving that we have a new format here coming. Sad to say goodbye to Coria, but ready to break M21 wide open with the Discord. Yeah, for sure. All right, Ben, we are going to send off Coria in the Lords of Limited style that we know best. Do you want to kick us off here with point number one here of our 50 takes? I'd be glad to. Icoria real estate is about three things. Synergy, synergy, synergy. Yeah, I mean, I think... This is a format unlike any other that we've had in the three years of doing our show in that it feels so high power leveled and so much about, you know, that Sam Black phrase of draft decks, not cards. And this format, you know, we came up with our sort of column A, column B idea, payoffs, enablers, however you want to think about it. But your your deck at the end of the draft should be like a lean, mean synergy machine. And I, I think that's unique to Acoria in, in terms of the other formats that we've discussed on the show. For sure. Number two, red, white cycling is the best deck in the format. I think that's just full stop. I don't think there's any argument for that. And I think that that's been the case or, or been, you know, what the community at large has thought from fairly early on. I agree. I, I think you can make a case for red black because it's so much harder to get cut out of red black. But certainly if red white cycling comes together, it's head and shoulders above the rest of the format. But if you're in a pot of eight people that really draft the format, I think red black might be a better deck more consistently. I wonder if in in the future, you know, if, if you're coming back to listen to this episode in a year or whatever, when Ikoria comes back as as the flavor of the week draft on a, on Arena, I wonder if it's going to feel like spider spawning in Innistrad or something like that. Red White Cycling is the deck that everyone remembers from the format and tries really hard to draft and no one can get a good version of it. <laughs> That'd be sweet. Yeah. Number three, red is the best color. Black is the second best color. White is in third place, and the gap is huge after that. Huge gap, and then blue, and then a little bit of a gap, and then green, right? Yeah. And I think you could even make a case that that blue and green are just equal. I I also think you can make a case. I think it's like red, black, gap, then white. Yes, that's also true. Yeah, I I think that's also true. Red and black are just head and shoulders uh, above the rest. And that's due to the deep roster of commons in both colors and the flexibility of those commons. The fact that they just go into basically every single one of the archetypes, red, white cycling, like, you know, the, the nuts version of that is sort of an exception. Because they're there, you don't want Forbidden Friendship or Cloud Piercer or whatever. But for for every other deck, all of those commons go deep and they really slot into any number of decks. They're synergistic, right? Mm -hmm. They're deep, they're powerful, and they're synergistic. Exactly. Number four, green is the worst color. I I think, I think, you know, you you did just say blue and green, maybe they're they're tied or whatever, but green is is really bad. I, I think you should not move into green for any commons we, you you you've been preaching this for a while and i'm definitely on board now uh, unless you already have multiple cards in other colors and then you want to move into green for the fixing that green provides so you you dive into it for you know the the naturalists or the great horns but it's rare that that ends up happening in in drafts and i, I don't quite know why and it's maybe because red and black are so deep that you don't often end like you know if you take a powerful red or black card early you can often find the commons or uncommons that support that so that you don't need to dip into green green for the fixing. Yeah. Can I get an amen? Hard avoid drafting green if you can't, but sometimes you got to draft it, right? Like you you shouldn't shy away from green. You know, if your draft starts with an archipelago or into an auspicious Starx or whatever, then you should draft green. Or if you open, you know, Kogla. Yeah, right. There, there are reasons and appropriate times to draft green. Moving into it, pick six or pick seven for commons, not the way to go. No, not at all. 
Number five, despite what the fixing would lead you to believe, this is not a three plus color format like Cons of Tarkir. Yeah, you pegged this pretty early on. You know, we kept seeing decks in our deck techs on stream or in Discord or on Twitter of people with pretty stretched mana bases. I think the ultimatums, which we'll talk about in just a second, are were leading people down incorrect paths. You know, I, th- I think they, they sort of were a red herring for what the format was actually about, which I think is mostly streamlined two color decks. Right. And it was easy to draw comparisons, right? Because the format's based around enemy colored pairs, mm-hmm. the exact same as Cons of Tarkir was. There were, you know, the multiple enemy colored pairs seated at Uncommon, which was new for this format, which was cool. But all of that, it just became apparent pretty early on that two color streamlined synergistic decks was the way to go. Yeah. So speaking of the ultimatums, number six, the ultimatums are largely traps. I I think especially for best of one, they're basically unplayable. Now we've got a little addendum here. The Mardu, Abzan, and Jeskai ones have some corner cases. I would say Mardu, number one, Jeskai, number two, Abzan, I mean, Gap, Abzan, number three, and then the other two are pretty much yikes. And I, I think you're just supposed to, you're definitely not supposed to pack one, pick one of these. Agree a hundred percent. Yeah, you you want to be in in green and like have the ability to play the Abzan one, or you want to be in white or black with some duels and a far finder that you've already picked up, and then get it like fifth or sixth in pack two. Like that that's how you get into it. Number seven, far finder is not the skittering surveyor of IKO. We all came in hot and heavy on far finder, and I think you know moved down appropriately as the format went on. And I think largely this ended up not panning out because Mutate ended up not panning out, right? This would be a lot better if Mutate were the best thing to do in the format, which was what we assumed going in. And I think that just ended up not being the case. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's re- really true. That that was my big argument, you know, in drawing comparisons from Skittering Surveyor and Farfinder was that it seemed like Ikoria and Dominaria were going to be very similar in the sense of, you know, all the re- there's a lot of removal, a lot of powerful stuff at common. It's all very splashable. And so Farfinder is going to be the glue for a lot of decks. And Skittering Surveyor had h- historic as the like keyword matter thing for it. And Farfinder was really good with Mutate and Mutate seemed way more powerful in this format than that did in Dominaria, but that just, as you said, didn't end up being the case. So pour one out for our, our, our friendly little fox there. Number eight, Porky Parrot is Splinter Twin. And we've been saying this like the whole format. And then finally, I think like two weeks ago or a week ago, we got a message in Discord with someone being like, why, why is it Splinter Twin? Isn't Splinter Twin an enchantment? And so <laughs> I realized that we had shorthanded this without perhaps properly explaining this. So why is Porky Parrot Splinter Twin, Ben? So yeah, Splinter Twin just references an infinite combo between two cards that wins the game on the spot or a very powerful two-card combo. So there's essentially a combo that lets you go infinite by putting the enchantment Splinter Twin onto a creature that untaps itself. Um, And then you make infinite copies and attack your opponent with a hasty army. So Porky Parrot, essentially, when you put it onto a Death Touch creature, is similarly game-ending, right? Unless your opponent has a removal spell on the spot. If not, you just assemble you know, death touch pinging, which machine guns your opponent's creatures down and pretty much essentially makes them want to concede the game similar to landing Splinter Twin on an infinite combo piece. Exactly. Number nine, the Vigilance deck is real and it is spectacular. Yeah, the Vigilance deck is probably the the gap between the rest of the world understanding slash liking this deck and you and I understanding and liking this deck feels like the biggest in terms of what this format has to offer. I think you and I are very high on vigilance as like a theme and a game plan or as a, a nice little package in, in green or white decks. Alert Heedbonder, Keensight Mentor, obviously Frontland Felidar being great, Main Servals doing work. The, the deck really has legs. Yeah, for sure. And it, it to me, I don't know how it is to you, but to me, the vigilance deck is Operation Don't Die. Mm-hmm. Like, and if you and if you don't die, you're going to win, which is how most games of Magic work. But like that, that really is what's going on here, right? You want to turtle up, you want your alert heat bonders going, you want some honey mammoths, and y- yes, you'll play solid footing as the enchantment that gives something plus one plus one and lets it deal damage equal to its toughness. But that's not like it's not an aggressive deck. You're not trying to go main servile into solid footing into, you know, five view four turns in a row. That's not how the deck works. Right. Solid footing, I think, is is a bit misleading in the sense that at the end of the day, it's a combat trick. Now, it's very powerful. You know, turning your main servile into a five five for one mana is, is huge. 
But remember, at the end of the day, it's a combat trick. So you want to make sure you're like getting value from it and you're not trying to like load up on those. It's not a solid footing plus main servile style deck. Right. Agree 100%. Number 10. Here we got the official Lords of Limited cycling payoff power ranking, Ben. Starting off with number one, Zenith Flare. Number two, Valiant Rescuer. Number three, very, very close. Number three, could probably even switch this with number two, Flourishing Fox. Yeah, we were debating before the show that like Flourishing Fox is better when you get there 100% on cycling and Valiant Rescuer is going to be more consistently good, you know, if you get cut out of cycling during the draft. Number four, Dranus Stinger. Close number five, Snare Tactician. Number six, Reptilian Reflection. Number seven, Sad Cats of I Thundermane. Number eight, Prickly Marmoset. Number nine, Dranith Healer. Number 10, honorable mention to Rooting Moloch. Yeah, this this card I didn't quite know where to put on this list, Ben. I'm curious what your thoughts are. I mean, I love Rooting Moloch. It's essentially Gravedigger. It's, it's just such a different effect than the deck is generally looking for. It's still very powerful, but it almost feels best in a cycling package than in an all-in cycling deck, you know? I agree. I've come down on that since we did our cycling episode. I, I don't think it's what you want in your best cycling decks. Will you play it? Certainly. But I actually like it best in red black, you know, where you've got a couple lava serpents, you've got a memory leak, you've got some raking claws to bring back, things like that. Yeah, agree. Number 11, there is a gap between the best removal in the set and the rest. So top of the heap, blood curdle, fire prophecy at common, and then at uncommon, heartless act, flame spill, dire tactics. And then pretty much everything else is interchangeable and mediocre despite being powerful removal spells. Right. So like, you know, when you're thinking about drafting the format, you know, you're taking like bombs and then synergy payoffs and then you're taking the best removal. And then you're generally, I think, taking like synergy enablers over the rest removal, the the sort of clunky. And I mean, it's not even that that clunky but it's just very interchangeable removal that exists in the format right like for example you're taking forbidden friendship as you know make a one one dinosaur with haste make a one one soldier token over pacifism i think that's correct in the format taking it over rumbling rock slide i think that's also correct yeah which i I don't think we were at, at at the beginning of the format i also think it's really interesting that like the two common removal spells are very close and perhaps even better than the two uncommon removal spells in black and red i think that's true i think i take the first fire prophecy over the first flame spill yeah and i'm taking i'm taking i think i'm taking heartless act over blood curdle but that's close it's very close but those those are the five best removal spells in the set for sure number 12 your mutate enablers are mostly interchangeable so don't really overthink the cards that you are going to mutate onto polywog symbiote at uncommon is the best aegis turtle at common is the worst and the rest in between are pretty close like Essence Symbiote, Almighty Brushwag, Glimmerbell, Bootnipper, Coilbug, like they're all doing similar things and you don't need to really sweat ranking them. Yeah, I think in an ideal world, you're not giving up a full card. So I think like something like Forbidden Friendship or mm-hmm. Farfinder, I mean, but Farfinder doesn't let you do Great Horn on curve. It's weird, right? Yeah. Like, if you're valuing Great Horn where you're suggesting to value Great Horn, which is I think correct then you really want your enables to be one and two drops. So like Farfinder gets a knock there, but something like Forbidden Friendship where you still end up with a one one token on the side or, you know, Bootnipper giving lifelink death. There are variations, Mm -hmm. but it's not it's not so much that you need to think like Essence Symbiote, for example, the one in a green two two, like looked premium premium at the start of the format. And it's just not like it brushwag. You don't really care. You basically should never be taking mutate enablers over actual mutate creatures. Right. I think that's a fair assessment. Number 13, Keensight Mentor is part of a cycle of mentors and is the best of that cycle by a large margin. So bringing up the middle, Trample and Menace in second, and bringing up the rear, Lifelink and Flying are pretty far down as far as power level in terms of these mentors. Yeah, getting a 1-3 for 3 mana and then having three mana to activate, that's a steep cost. That's why Keenside Mentor, I think, is the best of the bunch as a three mana one four that only has a, a two mana activation. I think that's that's the real sweet spot there. And goes in Vigilance, which is by far the sweetest of the allied color pair decks as well. Number 14, Reanimator has the tools to succeed. The fact that you have cycling creatures at common and, and then even better ones at uncommon in Titanoth Rex and Void Beckoner, plus Unbreakable Bond and Back for More, that's a great package in a deck that's a great just full out game plan in the deck i mean it's very reliant on uncommons but you can definitely get there you can get three reanimator spells and then just take 
however many lava serpents and sandworms you see, and you've got a deck there. Speaking of back for more reanimators coming back in M21, baby. Oh, really? I think so. I think I saw some preview cards that alluded to that. Oh, baby. That sounds fun. Yeah. Number 15, Weaponize the Monsters and Bastion of Remembrance are two of the top uncommons in the set. Yeah, I'd say I think number three and number four in that order. Yeah, they're they're very, very, very good. I was sort of blown away by Ben S tweeting recently, like within the last week or so that he'd been undervaluing Bastion most of the format. That was a card that we were pretty high on early on to pat ourselves on the back. And I think, you know, both of these cards are very important parts of why red and black are so good at common because these two enchantments are powerful. You can see them pretty reliably over the course of the draft and all of the red and black commons work very well with them. They both have similar effects on the game in that like it doesn't really matter how low your life total is. If you don't have life gain in your deck and your opponent plays weaponize and you're at 12, there is this sort of sinking feeling of, oh, I can't win. Like there's just going to be no way for me to not get got by six of my opponent's creatures here and go to zero. Right, which is also why that Vigilance deck with Alert Heedbonders or Honey Mammoths sort of came into being, right? Is a way to combat mm-hmm. these cards as premium threats in the format. For sure. Number 16, Fight as One is a really strong combat trick and I think is underrated to this day. I would agree with that. This card is outstanding in best of one. I underrated it way too long in best of one. And I think it's just great in best of three as well. And honestly, the the biggest feel bad of it is that it's at its best in the cycling deck. Because there you're able to protect, you know, not only your rescuers and your tacticians, but your foxes and your prickly marmosets or your reptilian reflections. Like it's so cheap and flexible, but you really do want it in a deck where you're going to be able to protect two things because that's where you get maximum blowout potential from it. Right. And I think cycling does that the most often, like has the most powerful threats of two different types. And you're even they're so powerful that you're fine just protecting one of them, too. Mm -hmm. I think similarly, we'll keep talking about it. But the vigilance deck is another deck where it's so good, like being able to protect your Heedbonder or your mentor as well as a main serval or a Goriak. For sure. Number 17, crystals are filler at best. Wah, wah. Yeah, RIP lol preview cards from Akoria. We we usually get 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 some good ones, but but this one just didn't quite get there. Why why were the crystals no good? I mean, I guess it's basically because of going back to the point of this not being a three color Cons of Tarkir format. Like you just didn't care about ramping and fixing from these cards. Right, I agree 100%. And two mana cycling was too steep of a cost in the streamlined cycling decks. Right, that was just so replaceable. Number 18, Mystic Subduel is a great removal spell. Again, I think I would put this on a still underrated to this day category. This shuts down Mutate in a very huge way and in very large blowout potential way by responding to the Mutate trigger or responding to them trying to mutate onto a creature with this card. But then also just like it owns the cycling deck. It shuts down a Marmoset or a Tactician. It shut down Bushmeat Poacher. This card is very good. Yeah, I think I have not cast enough Mystic Subduels this format because every time my opponent cast one against me, I just thought, oh, dang it. <laughs> the card's so good, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just it feels so backbreaking and it's so cheap. So cheap, too. Yeah, the worst is when you go to mutate. Number 19, Sanctuary Lockdown is overrated. So this is the two white enchantment that pumps your team for humans, and you can tap two humans and pay two to tap an opposing creature. This card, we sort of, you know, talked about it recently on the last Mardu episode, but it's a little narrow, right? It really is almost essentially a black-white gold card and really forces you down a streamlined path, but almost too streamlined of a path in some senses because there's so many good pieces in black and white going wide and recursion like durable coil bug that you want. Like there's there's so many things you have to give up on for Sanctuary Lockdown to really be powerful. I just kept finding myself picking this card fairly highly, you know, like third, fourth pick, and then it just wouldn't end up making the cut in my black white decks. Yeah, it really warps your picks and stops you from having some of the more powerful pockets of synergy or synergy packages that exist in the format, like like a little Vigilance package where you, you want to run some main servals or something, or like a little Mutate package because you want to be able to reliably mutate your Cavern Whispers or whatever. I mean, you just can't really afford those slots. Like the more you're playing Coil Bugs, Boot Nippers, Cavern Whisperers, main serval, and now your, your Sanctuary Lockdown is really watered down. Number 20, the inherent synergies among Black's commons is massive. And I think you probably say the same thing for red. But just thinking about like 
why Whisper Squad is such a high pick, why you're so in love with Durable Coil Bug, why Bushmead Poacher is essentially a parcel beast. You know, those cards all work so well in tandem with one another, as well as Lurking Deadeye, because, you know, you've got creatures that are be able to chump attack or chump block in Coil Bug and Whisper Squad. And similarly, you have disposable bodies in those two creatures, so mutual destruction is good. You have creatures that your opponent doesn't want to trade off with early, like Coil Bug or Squad. And so that allows you to turn on your Night Squad Commando on curve. Like the, the synergy among these commons is wild. Yeah, very, very, very powerful. And I, I think blacks are even more self contained than reds are. I do think that's true. Yes. Like that they're they're more self-synergistic. I think Red's roster of commons is deeper and more powerful, but I don't think they, they're quite as all together on the same page as Blacks are. I think this is a real key to figuring out what the best colors in the format are. And I want to try and take this idea forward. I don't know how you can sort of see how these pieces work together without playing with them and without drafting them. But I, I want to try and during, you know, even as, as soon as M21, looking at the spoiler and trying to see how each color works within itself and, and see if that can be a key to like what the, the top color pair is or what the, the deepest roster of commons is for each color. Yeah, it'll be tricky, right? Because we did that with blue, right? We saw we saw the otter in the Dreamtail Heron yeah. thing and, you know, like, but it's not always what's best in the format. I think I think the, the best way to go about it is probably the Sam Black method that we outlined when he was guesting on the show is, yeah, for sure. you know, just, just to lay out those decks of commons and uncommons as singleton decks of, you know, 16 or 17 cards. That makes sense. Yeah. Number 21, Durable Coil Bug is greater than a boot nipper. This is where I started out in our crash course and then after playing with boot nipper twice and mutating onto it i was like oh boot nipper is amazing you know your creature gets lifelink or death touch or whatever but then turns out durable coil bugs just a lot better than boot nipper yeah i remember someone early on in, in my chat suggesting that that was the case and i was like that's crazy there's no way i'd ever take durable coil bug over boot nipper <laughs> <laughs> and so so they the gap seems so large to me now boot nipper as a one toughness creature i think that's a big knock against it as forbidden friendship and Whisper Squad went up in people's pick orders. Like the prevalence of one ones makes Boot Nipper a lot worse. Um, and Coil Bug is just, as we talked about, just really slots into exactly what Black wants to do. Number 22, Cathartic Reunion is a card that every cycling deck wants. And honestly, almost any red deck, period, except for red black, I'd say. Yeah, it's it's best in cycling and red blue spells. Red green maybe is some filtering, but it, it's a very good card, very playable. I think it came up in value, certainly over the course of the format. For sure. And number 23, Song of Creation is stone cold unplayable. Shout out to Ben Werney here, folks, for nailing this card in the crash course. I wasn't I wasn't going to bring it up, but, you know, since you did. Yeah. Bring the praise my way. I, I will. I will. You really you really pegged this card. I'm, I'm happy to be associated with you and your excellent card evaluation skills, sir. Boom. Number 24, the one mana cyclers are very high picks. And the reason is, is they're so flexible. They give you outs to the best deck in the format, which is red, white cycling. They give you outs to having a cycling package in your deck if you don't get the full out cycling deck. And they give you split cards if they're in your colors. So Memory Leak, I think is a great example of this. But even cards like Startling Development or Frostvale Ambush just go from like, oh, I can just cycle this and it has maybe some synergies elsewhere in my deck. But then also I can maybe blow you out with development as a combat trick or, oh, all of a sudden I just get five mana and I tap down two of your things for two turns with Frostvale Ambush and I win the game. They're, they're very, very powerful cards. Something even as simple as turning on Spell Eater Wolverine. Yes. They're, they just do so much and they let you shave lands from your deck if they're on color and you're maybe wanting to cast them as well. In your red black deck, if you've got, you know, two memory leaks and a Drana Stinger, you feel comfortable going down to 16 lands, maybe even 15 if you get a couple other one mana cyclers in there. Yeah, we don't have that as a point on this list, but especially as an episode that people may come back to. Our heuristic here is for every three one mana cyclers that you have, you can remove a land and then there, there's some fudging beyond that. But that's, I think, a good baseline to stick to. Right. And if you're drafting that cycling deck that we keep referencing, you're, you're hoping to have somewhere in the 12 to 14 land, you know, range in your deck. For sure. Number 25. I'm glad I get this one. Garrison Cat is low key great in this format. This little guy really gets the job done. Really does. So I think that's Garrison Cat being fine to pick is a testament to how good this format is. If you had shown me Garrison Cat at the start of the format, I would have said I would have hoped to never put it in my deck. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're just fine to like fourth pick this card if you already know what sort of a deck you're in right because again we keep talking about 
draft decks, not cards. And Garrison Cat is such a great, flexible synergy piece. Um, you know, you can mutate onto it. It's good to sacrifice. It's good as a, you know, non-human human thing if you've got Survivor's Bond to get back two things or you've got Fight as one to protect two things. It just really does so many little tiny things in the format that adds up to a really strong role player. So, so to put this in context, it's not unreasonable in this format to pick Garrison Cat over pacifism. No, not at all. Which is just awesome, right? Yeah, that's true. And I don't think that's where a lot of people are at even to this day. Yeah, maybe. I, I would hope. I would hope with our with our preaching of synergy that the people are getting there and our and our hatred of removal <laughs> yeah. leaves things on the battlefield. We, we hate we hate removal. We're we're all about hot takes and, and no removal here. <laughs> <laughs> Number 26, the official Lords of Limited companion power rankings in parentheses in terms of actually being your companion, comma, post rules change. Ben. What's at the top of the heap here still? That was a wordy hype pitch, <laughs> man. So in the number one slot, Lurus of the Dream Den. Number two, Garuda Doom of Depths. In third place, Obosh, the Prey Piercer. And then there's a gap here. And then we've got Lutri the Spell Chaser in number four. Followed by Gigantha the Wellspring. And then a huge gap here, I'd say. And these five, I think, are could be in any order, but we've got them in uh, Karuga the Macrosage, number six. Zerda the Dawn Waker, number seven. Kahira the Orphan Guard, number eight. Yorian Never Companion, number nine. And boy, howdy, did this get a lot worse when they added the companion tax. Number 10, Umori the Collector. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a little bummed about the companion change for limited, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I agree. It it really I, I found pack one pick oneing most of these to be a really fun draft challenge. Like it just felt like a stipulation or whatever. And playing against companions felt kind of groany, I guess, sometimes. But it felt good when you beat them. But now they they feel significantly nerfed. I mean, I guess that was good for the the health of constructed. But uh, who cares about that on this podcast? Seriously, number twenty seven generals enforcer represents everything the black white deck wants to do. So this little guy, white black for a two three. Pay two white black, exile a creature from a graveyard, make a 1-1 one, one soldier token, just grind, 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 mana sink, survive, incremental advantage. All of that stuff is exactly what you want to do in, in black-white. And I think there's a lot of Mardu-style decks that end up that way as well. But specifically, you know, this is Bastion of Remembrance. You know, you want that in your deck. And you just want to eke out incremental advantage over the opponent. Yeah, that, that incremental advantage, I think, is a real key for most white-black decks. Yes, you can have some curve-out decks, but black-white generally, I think grind is the name of the game there, and General's Enforcer just like represents that perfectly. Well, and those decks that also want to grind have random curve-out draws too. Right, right, but they're, they're very low curve, so you could just go like, you know, Garrison Cat, Coil Bug, Night Squad Commando, Day Squad Marshal, and it's like, whoa, where did this come from? Right, and then your opponent stumbles and the game's over, for right. sure. But then also all of those pieces go well if you're just trying to grind out the game and, and trade off resources and, and slowly but surely get ahead. This next one here is a big truth. Yeah, for sure. Dropping knowledge bombs. Huge point about this format. Number 28, this format is about finding the open archetype, not the open colors. And again, this feels very unique to this set in terms of the sets that we've discussed on the show, Ben. Right. So if you're thinking about the format in terms of three pillars of the format, there's cycling, there's mutate and there's humans, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, th- I think it's not quite as clear cut as that. That was like the the picture at the beginning of the format. I think there's also it almost feels more to me like there's cycling, there's Mardu sacrifice, go wide stuff, and there's mutate. Yeah, sure, in that order. I don't know that humans like gets its gets its share as a macro archetype, right? Because then, because humans the only real payoffs are. Sanctuary Lockdown, which we're not high on, and then General Kudro, which is a mythic. Right. I think they just get lumped in with Mardu stuff. Right. And then beyond that, there's a lot of niche archetypes that you can get into or even, you know, packages of, you know, synergy, pockets of synergy, if you will, that that give your deck a lot of direction. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons that we're so high on red and black specifically is because there's so much overlap with the, the ways those decks can go. Like, yes, you can have a human style theme to your black deck, but you can also have, you want to run coil bugs and you run, want to run cavern whispers. And then maybe you've got like a little menace package there. Whereas blue and green, you really are, are especially for blue, you're like dividing there. You know, it's like, well, do I want to go mutate with glimmer bell and heron? Or do I want to go, you know, spells matter with startling development and frostvale ambush. And those, those two paths are pretty divergent. 
for sure. Number 29, in best of one, assume your opponents are going to curve out on you. This took a while for me to really internalize, I think, a lot of losing in Diamond (laughs) before I just accepted that it was going to happen, right? And it's not just like, it's easy when you're the one playing the games to think, man, I'm so unlucky. My opponents are always curving out on me. But I think everyone's opponents are curving out on everyone, right? Everything's just jam-packed into the beginning of the game combined with you know the power level of the format the synergy of the format the low converted mana cost of a lot of the synergy pieces and then just having the hand smoothing in there as well just makes it so that you're playing games of magic a large portion of the time and people are not stumbling yeah for sure number 30 the less streamlined your deck the more interaction you want and i actually hadn't put this into words until typing this out into the show notes. And when I finally did, I was like, oh, that really is the thing. Because I kept thinking like, you know, in in whatever, random blue-white decks, that's where I liked stuff like Divine Arrow or Checkpoint Officer or Pacifism the best. And it's because my deck wasn't super streamlined or I I didn't have like, I didn't have a really strong column A, column B, payoffs plus enablers style deck. The less your deck is about like doing your own game plan, then the more stuff you want to disrupt your opponent's game plan. Yeah, I agree 100%. Ergo, removal's bad. You heard it here. Never take removal. Never pick removal over Garrison Cat. <laughs> that's a that's a that's sarcasm in case anyone wasn't clear. Yeah. But I do think that's that's profoundly true. Like that's a great way to summarize that idea that that's when you want to vine air, right? When you yourself didn't get there on on plan A, which is having a streamlined synergistic deck, that's when cards like Divine Arrow start to go up in value so that you can disrupt and interact your opponent's synergy. Exactly. Number 31, Corpse Churn and Survivor's Bond are important tools for the companion decks. Really companion deck right now, right? After the nerf, like really you're only excited about those cards with Luris, maybe Garuda, and Garuda, but they've gone yeah. down. They've gone down a lot with the companion nerf. Yeah, that's so true. Such a bummer. I mean, they're very good cards. Yeah, I think I think Luris and Garuda are really the the, the two because if you know those are going to be in your starting hand or almost in your starting hand after you pay three, uh, you know, you're going to see them every game. And so then you want to be able to have ways to recur them because you're building your whole deck around them. For sure. Number 32, Clash of Titans is not the blowout you think it is. Abort, abort. I I think this card is actually really good as a sideboard tool. Like basically, I I bring this in against almost every black deck I see because I assume they've got some death touch. Um, But you really only want to bring this in when you can consistently get a two for one from your opponent. Killing your opponent's second biggest creature is not what this card is all about. Yeah, I agree. This card, I think, is it sh- should be picked up on the wheel. That's yes. when I think you're hoping to pick it up. For sure. Number 33, Archipelagor is the best non-rare mutate creature and the second best uncommon in the set behind Zenith Flare and is honestly very close to the power level of Zenith Flare. Like as far as ending the game when they're cast, both of them do a very good job of that. Archipelagor is obviously six mana instead of four and you're not going to see it as often because your deck's not built to cycle through your whole deck, you know, but it is very powerful. And there's there was a point in the format where I would have wanted to take Archipelago over Zenith Flare, pack one, pick one, just because I was so confident that cycling was going to be contested enough that mm-hmm. I wasn't going to get there. Yeah, this card is just super flexible, splashable, and asks so very little of you. It asks you to have some amount of non-humans in your deck, which seems pretty viable. Number 34, Serrated Scorpion is not the one drop you're looking for. I see this card in way too many decks. Outside of basically Obosh and Lurus decks, the card should very rarely make the cut, in my opinion. Right. It's it's like, it's almost like people have a weaponize the monsters and they see the synergy, right? They see, oh, I can sacrifice my Serrated Scorpion to deal two damage to my opponent. But that's not synergy, right? That's just card disadvantage like you wouldn't throw away a card to deal two to your opponent unless you're killing them but there's so many other cards that do a better job of that in tandem with weaponize the monsters like forbidden friendship or things that bring two bodies day squad marshal you know night squad commando think think things like that yeah arguments of like well it's so good with bastion or it's so good with weaponize the monsters like well you know what's good with weaponize the monsters or bastion is literally any creature so just play any creature that's actually impactful without those cards rather than 
a one mana one two. There are times, you know, when you when you want to mutate, when you're short on mutated ablers sure. and, and have the bastion or whatever. You'll you'll it's playable, but I, I see it way too often. I agree. Ben, I'm happy you get this one. I am also happy I get this one. Number 35, Ram Through is the best green fight spell we've seen, and it's still not good in this format. Do do you want like you I, I can put 50 seconds on the clock? Do you want to go on a little tirade here about Ram Through, or do you feel like you've you've said your piece about the card enough? I mean, I'll, I'll give it another go. All right, here we go. <laughs> so Ram Through asks so much of you as far as removal. It wants you to have creatures. So you not only have to have a creature on the battlefield, you can never cast it into open mana. So you're just praying to not get two for one when you cast it. And on top of that, removal is just not very good in the format, as we've alluded to, if it's not premium removal. And this doesn't fall under the premium removal category. Yes, it's intrinsically powerful. Yes, in a lot of formats, Ram Through would be great. But combined with the fact that removal is not great and green is not good in this format, if you're picking Ram Through highly, like it's a top common, you're just going to end up in green way too much and you're going to be sad. Will you run a Ram Through or two in your deck if you're green and you've got some Honey Mammoths? Yes, but not even every green deck wants Ram Throughs. Green's best thing is fixing. And if you've got fixing, you should have access to better removal spells than Ram Through for your deck. Boom. That was 58 seconds of pure hatred against Ram Through, <laughs> folks. Number 36. Mutate is a powerful mechanic, but with great power comes great responsibility. You need to know when to mutate, how to sequence your mutate, how to build a balanced deck with a mutate theme, or that's all in on mutate. It's very, very tough. And the fact that it's like sort of, I don't know, maybe not, it's not based in green, but green, blue feels like where it's at its best. And those are the two weakest colors, nerfs it a significant amount. Yeah, honestly, this is one of the biggest bummers about the format for me, because I was so excited about mutate coming in. And I, I do think it's powerful. It's a it's a good mechanic. It just is not good enough <laughs> for this format, which is sort of a bummer because it's really cool. And yes, you did the thing a lot. And I, I think once all format, I really had like a bonkers blue green mutate deck and it was really fun to play. I just wish that had come together more often and was able to compete with the Mardu grind decks and the cycling decks. Number 37, Cloud Piercer has reach. But seriously, though, this card has reach. This card is really underrated, Ben. It Look, you don't have to sell me on it. I love Cloud Piercer. I know. Forbidden Friendship and a Cloud Piercer? Amen. Sign me up. That's a deck. Speaking of, number 38, Forbidden Friendship is the truth. I mean, we, we sang the praises of Forbidden Friendship in our Mardu episode. We really, really love this card. It does so, so much in terms of, I mean, very much to what we were talking about Garrison Cat doing even, but this just does it all in... in this just does it tenfold, really. I mean, it gives you so much fuel for so many different directions. You know, you want to go a sacrifice deck? Great. You want to do a go wide deck? Great. You want something to mutate onto? Great. Forbidden Friendship has you covered. Yeah, it it, it does it all. I, I Honestly, one of the coolest things was I don't think it, it took like a few, three, four weeks to really get there. Mm -hmm. But once but once you see the light, you just can't unsee it. <laughs> Sounds like we're in a cult. <laughs> Number 39, Crystalline Giant always rolls Hexproof the first time for your opponents and always rolls Reach the first time for you. It's a fact. Yep, that's a fact. I was thinking about this card, you know, in the wake of uh, in, of quarantine, we really never played Akoria in paper. How did R&D dodge this card not getting played in paper? Like, what a <laughs> nightmare of a magic card to have to deal with in paper that we just never had to. That's really funny, yeah. Number 40, Honey Mammoth is one of the best things green has going at common. What if Honey Mammoth was a mutate creature, Ben? Oh, baby. I'd have been I'd have been so hot on mutate. I, that's what green was missing. Green was missing a lot of stuff. But like a second mutate creature at common that was like just some beefy thing. Like what if Honey Mammoth was five mana to mutate as a six, six or whatever that I think or, that would have as a seven, seven. Yeah, yeah. Like bump that up. Just give green some strong, cheap mutate creature. Or even if I, I said this, you know, medium way through the format, even if it were colossal dread maul, which is also coming back in the format, mm -hmm. like if it had been colossal dread maul with like gain two life or something so that it tied some trample synergy together and helped you stabilize mm -hmm. all that, all that sort of stuff. But honey mammoth is 
good. Like one of the better things Green has going on, which is sort of a, a pseudo slam against Green, yes. but it, it it is good and it's very good against cycling. If you're a cycling deck, one of the one of the things you don't want to see on the other side of the battlefield is your opponent ramping into a honey mammoth. Yeah, they were talking about this card specifically on the last episode of Limited Level Ups about how it's just like so it's like the anti-tempo card because so often, you know, you're you know, you're sometimes pushing damage, attacking with four two twos you know they're going to eat one but you're trying to push six damage and you're like all right even if they just slam one thing next turn it's one big thing i can still get around it but if that one big thing is honey mammoth and they're also gaining four that's tough to come back from yep number 41 the cycling deck has given this format a bad rap i honestly it's not that bad of a deck if you're in a pod of eight people that understand drafting appropriately and are going to play in pod, right? This gets exacerbated even in league play, right? Because you're not necessarily incentivized to, you know, hate draft a one CMC cycler or whatever, even though you should be taking them because they're good for you, but not, not everybody understands that. And then just the wide pool of drafters on arena, right? You could get in a draft pod where it felt like, okay, you know, people are doing this and I'm not going to be able to draft cycling. But then every once in a while, you've got in a pod of people that maybe either hadn't drafted the format much or didn't like the cycling deck or whatever. And it was just wide open and and led to some feel bads, you know, especially when you're playing in best of one or things like that. But personally, I, I just, I don't see it. I, I like the cycling deck. I liked playing against the cycling deck. I like the puzzle of how can I stabilize? How can I keep my life total high enough that I can't get flared out? Can I turn the corner? The games were exciting. I, I don't know. I wish, I wish this format didn't have the cycling ruined this format label on it. Yeah, I am not quite where you are at. Like I did find the deck to be overpowered and uh, not particularly fun to play against, at least in the sort of repetition that you had to, especially if you're grinding to mythic. Um, and, and I do think like, you know, one piece gets nerfed, you know, move Zenith Flare up to rare, move, you know, Snare Tactician up to uncommon, make the one mana cyclers not colorless would be my biggest fix, I think, to, to the problem. Um, but but I, but I agree that I think the deck gave the format a bad rep. Well, and I think it, the other thing I will say in defense of the cycling deck, I think it was, it also has a label of it's easy to draft. And I that's not true for me. I think the draft was interesting, like knowing when to commit, like when you are past the point of no return. And I think the gameplay is great too. Like there's a, there's a lot of decisions. Sometimes you steamroll your opponent, but in the games that you don't, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of decisions to make. I agree. My early times playing that deck, I felt like trying to pilot Storm and Vintage Cube. Like I felt very out of my depths. Number 42, main deck Wilt goes a long way in Akoria, especially in best of one. Um, but I think this is just a main deck card if you're in green. Like taking out Weaponize the Monsters, Bastion of Remembrance, even cards were lower on like Sanctuary Lockdown or Ominous Seas or, you know, the clunky removal spells in Pacifism and Capture Sphere. There's a lot of targets for this card. Yeah, I agree. And again, like one of the reasons to play green, which is not a selling point for green. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Number 43, Migratory Great Horn is the glue to hold the best mutate decks together. You recently, you know, sort of put this idea out in the world in our in our blue-green mutate episode, and I, I bought. I, I bought the idea. Um, I think mutating on three mana is big game. I think it's one of the only ways to do that. It fixes, it ramps, does everything you want to do in a mutate deck, because oftentimes you're splashing powerful uncommon mutators. And then if you draw it late, you're going to get it added on to a mutate stack, which is also what you want to be doing. Yep. Number 44. Here are some niche decks that are powerful, but rarely come together. So one of my favorite decks in the format is Blue Black Flash, but this is largely off the back of opening Slitherwisp. But just know that if you open a Slitherwisp, you can get this deck to come together because so many of the pieces for it are at common and go pretty late. Red Green Trample is another one. I think this, you know, it doesn't hinge on Quartzwood Crasher so much, which is the 6-6 rare that is, is the Trample Lore that makes Trample Dinosaurs, which is just absurd. That card just stands on its own. It really is like you want a critical mass of Tramplers and some Proud Wild Bonders, which is the uncommon, the 2 Gruel Gruel hybrid 4-3 Trample that lets your Trample creatures deal damage as though they weren't blocked. It really is more about that and wanting to be able to dome your opponent with unblockable trample damage. Red White Mutate is a deck that I think shouldn't come together that often, but does does sometimes. And, you know, you've got Regal Leosaur and Huntmaster Liger at Uncommon for the go wide life. You know, you get some Day Squad Marshals to go wide. You get some Forbidden Friendships to go wide. Maybe Vulpakeet to to fly over your opponent. The, the deck can get there. And Black White Mutate last on the list. I think this is probably the most consistently viable of them mm -hmm. um 
but again, should be coming together less often than most of the other mainstay archetypes. Number 45, red black is the archetype that converges on most powerful, most flexible, and most consistently open. And there's a lot of different flavors of red black. There's red black menace, there's red black sacrifice that's focused on, you know, you want some weaponizes, you want several bushmeat poachers, and then all of a sudden, you know, tentative connections becomes very good in your deck. And then tentative connections makes you want menace stuff, which, you know, so sacrifice and menace sort of feed off each other a little bit there. But oftentimes you're slanted more one way or the other. Red, black mutate, you know, you've got forbidden friendships into cavern whisperers and cloud piercers, plus maybe some other uncommon payoffs. There's just a lot of different ways to play and build red black and all of them are very good you know after we did our review of the the streamer showdown top four draft last week and we were so confounded by kyle rose's first pick of mutual destruction i went back to his stream vod to, to look at that pick to see if he explained anything about his thought process for that pick and kyle rose is sometimes explains he's usually good about responding to chat but i think on his own is, is sort of a man of few words and basically the way he summarized that pick before clicking mutual destruction was this is the card that is most likely to make my deck at the end of this draft. And I think that speaks to black being very deep and red being very deep and then red black just having so, so many options. It's really hard to get pushed off of red black. Yeah, I, I agree for sure. Number 46, red is gas. Lava Serpent is like red's eighth best common or something. And it's still great. You think about Fire Prophecy being the second best common in the set, very, very close to Blood Curdle. And then you've got whatever, Friendship. You've got Dranith Stinger. You've got Gopher Blood. You've got Rumbling Rock Slide. You've got Lava Serpent. You've got Prickly Marmoset. Spell Eater Wolverine. Yeah, there's so, so, so many good cards that Red has in common. It's pretty absurd. Number 47, removal that leaves creatures on the battlefield really gets punished by mutate stacks and sacrifice outlets. Namely, we're looking at Pacifism and Capture Sphere, and it, it just feels so, so, so bad. Yeah, so here's the thing about Pacifism and Capture Sphere, and we've been saying this from the beginning, is that they're they're not good against basically any of the three sort of umbrella decks that we've been talking about. They're not good against cycling because you want to get cards like Valiant Rescuer or Snare Tactician or Dranith Stinger off the battlefield. When you leave them on, they still get to do their things for, that the deck is looking for them to do. You're going to mutate onto Pacified and Capture Sphered creatures in those all-in mutate decks. You're going to have Sacrifice Outlets in your Mardu decks. And so these cards are going to get embarrassed. There's just not really great homes for these cards. Yep. Number 48. Here are some build arounds that didn't quite get there, which is okay in a, in a format with wide open build arounds. It just feels like everything is a build around in a sense. But first up here, we've got Escape Protocol, which sort of was the hotness towards the end of the format. Yeah, you could uh, combine it with Sleeper Dart to cycle and then blink your Sleeper Dart and draw a card. You could also lock people out with Voracious Great Shark. That's the rare, the 3 blue 5 4 that when ETBs, you counter target creature or artifact spell. So there, there's some things to do. And I think you could play this card. I personally never cast it, but I, I do think it's a thing. I'm going to seize up next the one in a blue enchantment. We were really high on this card at the start of the format. And it just kept going down and down and down all format. It's fine. You'll play it. It's just not a windmill slam build around type uncommon. The Ozolith, or as I like to call it, the Mulligan. I don't think this card gets there basically ever. I did play against a pretty sweet Ivy Elemental blue-green Ozolith deck, but it still didn't win against me. Um, so, But I appreciate the effort, but I don't think this is a card you should be playing. Primal Empathy, the one blue-green enchantment that lets you draw a card if you have the biggest creature on the battlefield and gives you a plus one, plus one counter on one of your creatures. If you don't, you'll just raise your win rate, I think, most of the time by not putting this card in your deck. Unpredictable Cyclone is certainly something we've seen. Uh, shout out to uh, Gimli, who's a, a streamer on Twitch, who I believe in back-to-back -back turns cycled spells into two different ultimatums with this on the battlefield. But, Whoa. <laughs> but I do not think that is a consistent dream that you can live with this card. Next up is Death's Oasis. This is the Abzan enchantment that lets you... It's like oh, a gosh. reverse birthing pod, basically. Creature dies and then... You can return a creature with less CMC from your graveyard to your hand. And you can pay one and sacrifice it. So you don't deck yourself. <laughs> right. And gain life equal to what? The, the converted mana cost or the power? Yeah. I mean, it's clear from the fact that we don't know the actual text of this card <laughs> that we do not think it is very good to play 
And last on this list is Titan's Nest. That's the Sultai rare that basically lets your spells have delve. Um, I've heard tales of this card being good and netting enough mana to feel like it's worth it, but uh, not for me. I don't buy it. Both of those cards don't impact the board enough in a format that is as powerful as this. Agreed. Those are derp around dirtle cards in in formats where you're not worried about dying. Mm-hmm. Number 49. This format has more ways that make you feel like you're doing it than any other format I can remember. It's insanely high power and there's so many cool things to do. Like the first time, like just think back to the first time you cycle Void Beckoner and then reanimate it with Unbreakable Bond. You felt like a god, right? Yeah. Or the first the first time you have two snare tacticians on the battlefield and you're tapping down your opponent's team and there's nothing they can do about it, right? Or you've got your weapon eyes and you've got your board and you know without a doubt that you can fling your board at your opponent's face and there's nothing they can do to stop you, right? There were so many dopamine releases <laughs> as we figured out like all the... It you was, are, right? You sound like a junkie. <laughs> I'm sure I do. <laughs> I think that's confirmed. <laughs> But there's so there's so many sweet things to do, right? Like, oh, this can do this, or this card combines with this more than any other format I can remember. And I think if your deck doesn't have stuff that you're planning to do, like if you're not thinking, okay, I'm doing it, then your deck's not very good in the format. I think that's going to bring us home here to point number 50. This format is very, very good, but it is not the GOAT. And there, there's a few reasons here for that. The lack of balance among the colors, the fact that, you know, as we talked about, like red, black, gap, white, big gap, blue, gap, green, like there's a pretty big disparity there among the five colors. Yeah. And I I was pretty hot on this as being the goat. I've only recently in the last two or three weeks cooled down, but the format has gotten a little repetitive for me. You know, after doing as many drafts as I have, the Mardu decks are all different, but they also in a certain sense, all kind of feel like you're drafting the same deck over and over and over again and you're hoping to get that bastionized you're hoping to get that bastionized you're hoping to get <laughs> that's that. like the the hollywood power couple name of bastion and weaponize <laughs> you're hoping to get that bastion you're hoping to get that weaponize and then you're hoping to do like a similar thing that you've done with your other mardu decks right or you know you're hoping to build a mutate stack like it it almost in a sense the openness of the format also makes it feel like you're doing the same thing over and over again because it's such like a big picture thing that you're trying to do. Right. That that deep roster of commons that we keep alluding to with red and black leads the decks to be consistent, but then leads them to be doing the same things. Like maybe one deck has a little bit more sacrifice. The other deck has a little bit more mutate. The other deck has a cycling package, but you know, they're all doing the same thing. I certainly think for me also, the the companions were a big part of what I loved about the format at the start of the format. And I think them nerfing companions and essentially killing most of them for limited just really took away from a lot of the, the sparkle of the format for me. And I think the, the last point on this list is that mutate was a, a powerful mechanic that sort of just got left in the shadow of how good cycling was, especially one colorless cmc cycling and how good companions were i mean i think mutate got it got left in the dust a little bit yeah i will be very excited to draft this format again when it comes back on flashback things but i i I think and it's certainly an all-timer for me like this this has got to be it's got to be easily top five top three i I just don't think it's the goat yeah agreed so akoria we love you we will miss you we're sorry the companions got nerfed and we're sorry that cycling gave you a bad rep but we're big fans yep for sure it's a great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. You can check out all things Lords of Limited on our not-so-new website, lordsoflimited.com. Links to both of our streams. I'm at twitch.tv slash Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Metronome. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter. You can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. You can check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Lords of Limited. There's all sorts of goodies out there for you to get more content from me and Ben. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.
So Splinter Twin just is referencing like an infinite combo or a very powerful two card combo when you assemble it. So Splinter Twin's an enchantment, two red red, uh, that gives in a creature an ability to tap and copy uh, target non legendary creature. I think and you it's just give it's, it. It copies itself. Like it's an enchant. It's copies an, itself. It's an aura. Oh, Jesus, I don't like. Ugh. All right. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't do this to yourself. You don't have to explain what Splinter Twin, the actual okay. text of Splinter let me, Twin. Let me, let me try. Let me try this again. Okay. 